I think we're gonna struggle with this, but uh, really heavy. I think this is a judgment-free zone. So, all right, sounds good. All right, we got it right there. All right, sounds good. That was awkward too, I guess. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, all right, this is cool. How's everybody doing? Good? All right, I guess I'm getting all love because I'm the new guy here, so. Um, like Jacob said, my name is Alejandro. I give you permission to call me Alex. In case you do not know how to pronounce my name, please do not butcher it. It's not Alejandro. If you need a reference, go ahead and listen to the Lady Gaga song called Alejandro. <laughs> Made me very famous. No, it's not about me. Uh, thank the good Lord uh, that it's not about me. So I am very excited to be here with you. I'm super excited about what City Light is doing uh, with the college ministry. That means that there is a hope. Uh, for the gospel, for the message of Christ, uh, for the upcoming generations, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from this point forward. So I'm very excited to be here with you and encourage us on what God has to say tonight. Uh, but before we go, begin our time together in sharing God's word, I just want to tell you just a tiny bit about myself. Um, again, it's Alex, if you want to call me that way, or Alejandro. Um, I am from a country called Venezuela. It's a small country in South America. Uh, I've been here for almost 20 years, uh, married to my beautiful bride, Christina, right over here. Uh, have, we've got three kids together, Victoria, who is six, Samuel, who is two and a half, and then Lucas, who is one year old, and we are pretty busy. But tonight, again, I'm going to bring you God's word. Hopefully, we will hear from heaven. Uh, but first, I want to welcome you guys back. I heard that there is some sort of a fall break, so welcome, officially. So, like Jacob said, we have been on the Sermon on the Mount, and my prayer once again is that we were healed from heaven, uh, that we would allow the Spirit to reveal what God is trying to tell us through His Word. Um, I'm just here, up here as a tool, and uh, I want to go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about chapter 6, verses 1 through 18 specifically. We're going to see some practical applications and how we should approach three different disciplines that we see on this part of the sermon. Here's the main idea. We actually see this right away on verse 1. Um, we have to be aware of hypocritical behavior. We have to be aware of hypocritical behavior. And we're going to see these three behaviors in the context of giving, praying, and fasting. And I cannot wait to teach you how to fast as a college student. For the sake of our time and structure, I am going to um, read the scripture as we go along. Again, give us a little bit of observation and application. So for now, uh, I'm going to give you some context. Go back to chapter 5, to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to see very early on, right away on verse 1, that uh, there's a big crowd, a big audience. Jesus' disciples actually join in as well. And we are going to ask, or I'm going to ask the question, what did he teach? He began with what it's called traditionally, the blessings, where he wants to make a formal or an authoritative announcement to the crowds and the religious leaders. That was a big word, and I thank the good Lord that I was able to pronounce that. Authoritative and an announcement to the crowds and the religious leaders. Also, he wants to make an emphasis and provide instructions about the life and the nature in the kingdom. Additionally, Jesus illustrates two metaphors that 
we're able to see the strong effects and influence that disciples will have in the world. This is where Jesus is calling us to be salt and a light to the world, to do good works so the Father who is in heaven is glorified. Also, Jesus compares his messianic kingdom in relationship to the law. In verse 17 through 20 of chapter 5, we see that he came to fulfill the law. He did not come to, to uh, abolish or to replace it. He was the fulfillment of it. And then Jesus offers six antitheses, anger, loss, divorce, oath, retaliation, and love for our enemies. enemies. So what is happening here is that Jesus is going to people's hearts right away. This wasn't just about a posture of religious righteousness, but rather the calling of calling the attention of the sin of God's people. Now Jesus has begun to show us what it means to be a disciple, what it looks like, how we ought to behave, and how we are to think as disciples. That is our context for our ser- uh, for chapter five. Uh, it's just a quick summary uh, what you guys have gone so far. Now we're going to pick up the uh, going to pick up the sermon on ve- verses six, uh, one through eighteen. We're going to see these three behaviors, these three principles, these three disciplines for spiritual re- religious life. Uh, those points are going to be our main points. We're going to unpack together. We're going to see verse one right away. So we are again, chapter six, verse one says. Be aware of practicing your righteousness before other in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is setting the tone here. He's talking about the three main points that I've said five, ten times already. Let's note that in verse 1 does not contradict verse 16 in chapter 5 in case you do remember and are scratching your head. The motives of these two passages that I'm referring to are totally different. In chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your shine before others so that they may be seen, that they may see your good works. It's kind of confusing, right? When in verse 1 says, Be aware of practicing your own stuff. Well, let me finish the verse so we understand why it's not contradicting each other he says and give glory to your father who is in heaven so that helps us understand that your works are not for your own profit your own boasting your own showing off the goal the purpose is to glorify god that's what it says at the end of chapter 5 verse 16. so now the tone has been set i want to go back to the scripture and take our our uh, take a look at point number one if you are taking notes, uh, our point number one is this. Be aware of hypocritical given. Be aware of hypocritical given. We're going to see that in verse 2 through 4. And it says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that you given may be in secret as your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's stop right there and just address a very good point right here. Notice that it says, 
when you give. It doesn't say if you give. It is a clear expectation that Jesus, followers, and disciples are to give generously. However, generosity may not be enough or it's not enough. Generosity should be something that will, be, that will have to be aligned with our hearts, with our motives. He is concerned because the religious leaders gave to the needy, seeking to be praised by others. They wanted to be in the spotlight, and Jesus clearly has an issue with that. Let's take a look at the name calling. You see in the text that Jesus is calling people some hypocrites. So hypocrites originally referred to Greek actors who will put up a mask. They will put some costumes on to play different roles. Clearly, these religious leaders are playing the actor's game. It's, he is Jesus, I'm referring to, criticizing these religious leaders for the posture of giving for the wrong reasons. Given to the needy must not show off the good deeds of oneself. The posture nullifies the possibility of any spiritual benefit to the giver. I'm going to say that one more time. This posture nullifies the possibility of any spiritual benefit to the giver. The irony that that was the posture of the religious leaders. And unfortunately, they have received their reward. Too bad it's not a reward that has come from heaven, but instead, they received their clap, their praises from other people. So the question is, where is our heart at? What is the motivation when we are given on the given side of the story? When we give our money or gifts to the poor and needy. Again, the concern is the hidden thought of our hearts. Let's take a quick look at how that will potentially look in our lives today. Actually, it looks very much like the second part of the verse. Saints, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The Bible is clear. So are we going to make a huge announcement or blow our own horn when we're about to make a small or hefty contribution to the needy? How many of us have shared to a group of people, well, I, I think I want to be a blessing to that person or to that group of people, to that family? Or I believe God has spoke to me to give to the needy person. How about you young folks who seek social justice? And you blasted all over Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. I don't even know if you can do that there, but uh, you do it for the wrong reasons. How many of us have quoted Acts Chapter 20, verse 35, so it says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me pause right there because I don't want to send the wrong message. I don't think these questions are a bad thing. I don't think that you sharing with other people that you want to bless others is a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. However, what I'm saying, or better yet, what Jesus is saying, what is your heart thinking when you're giving? Could you see the difference? Is there any difference? Is there motivation to accept myself? Or is it to be seen by God for what I've done in secret? 
Is it to gain the approval of man or to be seen by God what I've done in secret? Is it to be on the receiving end of some applauses or to be seen by God what I've done in secret? I want to echo Acts 20, chapter 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive, but I will want to press on unto the words of Jesus on this matter of giving when he said, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. Our reward is far better when we glorify God with our posture of humility than when we give to the needy. Let's move on to point number two. Be aware of hypocritical prayers. Be aware of hypocritical prayers. If you're taking notes, that is our point number two. Hopefully it's on the screen. Let's take a look at our text. That is verses five through eight. And it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they, re- they will hear from many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Anybody see the pattern here? So we're going to address the same point as we did on point number one. Notice that it says, when you pray, it doesn't say, if you pray. There's a clear expectation one more time that we as followers of Christ, and on the text that Jesus' followers are expected to pray. This is a discipline that they need to pick up and we need to pick up. There is some name callings one more time. Do not be like the hypocrites. In Jewish culture, public prayer, prayer was a common thing. It was the pillar of Jewish piety. Praying out loud in the morning, in the afternoons, in the evenings was a real thing back then. The issue wasn't really public praying, to be honest with you. Jesus isn't condemning public prayer at all. As a matter of fact, he modeled public praying. For instance, the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 14, verses 19, it says... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He did the same thing on the feeding of the 4,000. In chapter 15, verse 36, and it says, And having given thanks, he broke bread and gave them to the disciples. These are clear demonstrations of public praying. But what is our internal motivation here? Even though there is an extreme value in public and corporate prayer, and it's something that we truly value here at City Light. A more private prayer like the description in verse 6 that it says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, allows you for a prayer that is more focused on God rather than a prayer that others will be hearing. Again, that would allow that your prayer will be focused exclusively on God than focusing on the others who are listening to you verse 7 and 8 adds a second element to jesus's teaching when we practice practice prayer we do not want to repeat the the same words over and over and over in short we do not want to babble it refers to vain repetition 
the repeated words over and over without thinking. These are empty prayers. They are without a purpose. They're mindless and they're just a group of words and sentences that clearly does not demonstrate that they're coming from the heart. This is what Jesus is warning us about. This is what he is prohibiting us. A prayer should reflect a genuine conversation with God. God knows our needs. He also has chosen to grant some things only when his people pray. So Jesus has given us the do's and don'ts, but he also given us the how. We see that in verses 9 through 15, which is called the Lord's Prayer. It is broken into two pieces, so I'm going to go ahead and address the first one, the first part, which is verses 9 through 10, and it says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right away in verses 9 and 10, we see God's priority. There are three points, three points that Scripture points us right away, which concerns God's glory in relationship to his name, rule, and will. And I think these three points are very important on the first part of the prayer. So let's take a quick look. So point number one, God's name. So we see that his name would have been Abba in Aramaic. This is how Jesus would have called the Father. For instance, we see Jesus in Gethsemane. He calls God Abba. We see that in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. P, uh, uh, Paul also refers to God as Abba, the Father, in Romans chapter 8, verses 15. So the idea to pray to our Abba Father implicates or conveys God's authority, and it should be treated as with the highest honor. The number two is God's rule. God in heaven gives us a clear understanding and a clear affirmation, and it reminds us, believers like you and I, of God's sovereign rule over all things. And the last, certainly not least, it's God's will. We Christians are to pray for God's will. God's will is perfect in heaven. Therefore, Jesus prays that we will experience the same heaven here on earth. So we have seen the scriptures, the do's and don'ts of the prayers. We have seen the first half of the Lord's prayers, which focuses on God's glory. This is the largest section of the sermon, so I don't want, to miss, I don't want us to miss the application. So I want to ask a couple of questions. How do we apply Jesus' teaching on prayer so far? How do we learn from him? First, we want to make sure that our motives are in the right place. This is a heart issue. We must not forget that Jesus is ministering to our hearts. He's more concerned with it. He's concerned with our posture of humility when we're praying to God. So let's ask some more questions then. So when we pray, is our motive to public prayer to have others think how good we pray? How big of a religious vocabulary we have? How holy we sound? What is our motives? Where is our hearts driving us towards when we pray? 
and public. Can I confess, can I come clean that I just did that just recently? As recent as tonight, as recent as 10, 15 minutes ago, when Jacob was praying over me, I was just thinking, please do not screw it up. <laughs> Speak clear. Do not let your accent get in the way. I was thinking something that I shouldn't be thinking. So do we have, do you have, as I do, the same posture? This attitude seated at you is completely wrong. Jesus is warning not, not to be like the hypocrites that pray on the streets and in front of the synagogues. You wouldn't be in the synagogue praying in the streets out loud. You will be in your campuses. So we don't want people that are listening to our prayer applaud us for our big words, our holistic, our holistic prayers, our religious vocabulary. We want God to listen and we want to give him the glory when and if he answers our prayers. Your prayers should be simple, direct, sincere when talking to God. Remember verse 8, it says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. In a few, I want to give you some practical points, application, however you want to call it, on how to pray so you don't feel like you're repeating, repeating yourself over and over. And best of all, this is, these are not Alex's how to pray. However, these are principles that are biblical and are potentially practical for you to use when you pray. However, we're going to keep on with our text right now because we're going to pick it up on the second part of this Lord's Prayer, beginning of verse 7 through 13. And it says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have been forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The second part of the Lord's Prayer focuses on our request, our need. We see this also in verse 11 through 15. There are also three main points that I really want to address with you tonight because I believe they are important. So let's take a look really quick, okay? Everybody okay? You guys look stiff. Point number one is our basic needs. This petition focuses on the necessities of life, which is the implication that we need daily sustainability we need food point number two our debt this is important this petition focuses on our sin and the bible refers to sin as a debt that we owe to god who has listened to that message before and it deserves punishment we need to address it however it is important to highlight that this prayer does not focus on daily justification but rather praying for restoration of a personal fellowship with God when fellowship has been hindered by sin. This is important. It does not focus on daily justification. Rather, praying for restoration of personal fellowship with God when fellowship has been hindered by sin. And we forgive our debtors, people that have sinned against us, because we have been forgiven. It's just 
plain and simple as that. Point number three, it's our battle with sin and evil. The most common interpretation for this part of the prayer is that we're asking God to allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that will tempt us to sin. That is being spared of temptation, spared from tests and trials of life. Can I encourage you to one thing? Please know that trials and difficult times are inevitable. But when they come, please feel encouraged that God is with you and God will go through it with you. And you will not be alone. That is another sermon. However, it is important that we pray for protection and to be delivered from temptation. The best to, way to do so is to run towards God rather than, when, than, rather than you see the, the accent again. I'm sorry, guys. The best way to do is to run towards God rather than away from God. Lastly, let's take a look at the very last part of the prayer in verses 14 through 15. And it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'd like to address this point with just a little of, uh, note, a little experience that... Uh, just happened about a month ago. I was in Mexico at a church planting conference with my buddy Jacob. Um, we were suffering really hard for the Lord in Mexico, let me tell you. Wow, Parker, nobody laughs. Bad jokes, I guess. One of the pastors that was in the exposition panel was a dude named Justin Borkholder. It's a dude that has had some influence when it comes to the church planting topic. And... Uh, he said something that it really struck my mind. I will never forget exactly how he said these things. Um, and I think it actually applies to this part of the Lord's Prayer as well. Okay? So this is what he said. Again, notice that this is church planting concept, but it would apply. He said, one of the reasons we plant churches is because we want to reach God's people. And we reach God's people because we have been reached by God. We love God's people because we have been loved by God. We show mercy to others because we have been shown mercy by anybody, please. Just... Thank you. All right. <laughs> so now we forgive others because we have been forgiven by. That's exactly what verse 14 is saying, guys. Jesus is making an emphasis on the importance of forgiveness because there is a direct correlation between having been forgiven by God and the forgiveness the church, us, must extend to others. And the forgiveness of our trespasses just simply refers to a restoration of the relationship with God. See, like you, I don't want us to miss this. This is a clear picture of the gospel right here. Our sin gets us the wrath of God, and we are forgiven because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen, please? Thank you very much. Now we have been seen and we have observed in the text 
about praying, the do's and don'ts and the applications part of it. Now I want to give you some potentially practical application. In seminary, I took a class that is called Spiritual Discipline for the Christian Life. In this class, I believe I have learned a valuable lesson regarding my spiritual discipline on prayer. I honestly thought that there was something wrong with me when I would pray. The reason why I say that is because I repeated myself over and over and over. This allowed my mind to wander to places that I was like, okay, so where was that again? There was a boring way to pray, and I end up nowhere with my prayer. I immediately thought again that there was something wrong with me, but the question was, why am I not able to concentrate and focus when I am praying to God? Well, in seminary, I learned that it wasn't me. I took a deep breath. I read it was the method. So I want to tell you the same thing. If you pray like that, like I do, it's not you, but it's your method. See, like you, this is exactly the application that I want us to focus on when it comes to prayer. I want you to know that if you're there, if you might wander around, the problem, again, is in you. It's your method. So let's call your attention to a specific way that we can apply to our daily prayer discipline that is biblically based. Again, these are not Alex's point, but they, again, are biblical. So here it goes. Are you ready for the secret sauce? See, like you pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Here's some reason why. These are not the only ones, but some that I consider that it will be important for the remainder of our time together. I have four suggestions. You may take note if you want to. There will be a quiz at the end. I got some candy, too. Number one is we pray the Psalms because it helps us pray specifically. That means no more wandering around, period. We pray the Psalms because it helps us pray God's will. We pray the Psalms because it allows us to stay away from dangerous and individualistic prayers. And number four and the last point that I have is we pray the Psalms because it teaches us how to pray. We pray the Psalms because it teaches us how to pray. So how do we pray the Psalms then? How do we do that without having our minds to wander around? Quite simple. But it will be a lot more difficult than that. So, for instance, you take Psalm 23, probably the most famous or the most utilized psalms out of the entire book of Psalms. It begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. And you say, thank you, God, for being my shepherd. Not rocket science. I'm telling you. (laughs) Thank you, God, for leading me well. Thank you, God, for being intentional when it comes to leading my life. Thank you for your faithfulness. 
Thank you for leading you in a personal way. Because he can. If your mind wanders around, go to the next verse. That's it. I know this is a crash course on praying, and I'm not here to teach you how to pray, but just probably to give you some practical teachings on this spiritual discipline. And I hope that you can potentially handle the discipline of prayer because we are commanded to pray by God. He says when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. So we have to look at two points now. How to give, how to pray, and we go on to transition to our final point. Can't wait. Be aware of hypocr- hypocritical fasting. Yes, I cannot wait to tell you college students how to fast. Jesus said that. I didn't say that, actually. Well, it shouldn't be too difficult. Because when I was in college, I fasted regularly, not because, because of spiritual discipline, because I was poor. <laughs> Anyhow, let's look at our text, shall we? Verse 16 through 18, it says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that they, their fasting might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Various kinds of fasting was a common practice in the Old Testament times. Scripture tells us that this discipline is, it has to do with self-discipline and self-denial. This means abstaining from food was a way to humble yourself before God and us to give it and pray and fasting should be and is a matter between us Christians and God. We shouldn't be announcing to everyone that we are fasting with the intentions of looking physically unattractive, of deformed for the sake of being praised by our spirituality. Not that I'm fasting every day anyhow, but... Such attitude gives us a reward that we have been received, that we have received already, as the text show us. In essence, we fast because this is an act of worship. Again, Jesus is assuming that, this, that his disciples will fast, and so do we must take this act of worship into consideration. It says, when you fast, it doesn't say, if you fast. That is whether you have money in your bank account to buy Taco Bell or not. John Piper defines this this discipline very well. He says, fasting is a way of saying with our body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. Again, fasting is a way of saying with our body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. Piper is saying that, God, I need you more than food. God, you are bigger, and we want you more than life itself. 
We have seen the meaning of fasting. We have seen that Jesus assumes that we should fast. And now I want to be bold and keep us all, all accountable to this spiritual discipline. That we Christians should and need to fast. This would allow us to trust God and grow in our spiritual discipline as followers of Jesus. So here's a, here's a practical application. What I mean is that you abstain from food. You've probably heard that, oh, I'm fasting chocolate or potato chips or something like that. I'm fasting because I've been too much time on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. It's not fasting. <laughs> By definition, again, fasting is abstaining yourself from food. I will not recommend, though, to go 40 days and 40 nights without fasting, like Jesus did. Although biblically possible, you will likely die because you're not God and go without food and water for that amount of time. So please don't. So if the Holy Spirit leads you to it, do it. If God says to you, fast, do it. Start with half a day. Without food, water is okay. And worship God. Remember, this is your act of worship. If you feel hungry, that is a very good thing. You're doing something right. You're saying to God, God, this is my act of worship. I need you more than food. I want to close our time together by doing a little confession. But before I do that, we just went through three spiritual disciplines that Jesus had assumed that his followers his disciples will do. And they will do it for the purpose of worshiping God rather than to impress others. Remember that he taught these things because the issue with the religious leaders was their attitude, their posture, their hearts. And again, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. The mask is off. I am not an actor. I am a hypocrite. Lord, as my witness, I am a hypocrite. I am one of them. I play on the same team. That is exactly my attitude most of the time, if not all the time. You see, my discipline is tainted by sin. My utmost best Trying to keep up with these disciplines will get me nowhere. If I had to rely on my own spirituality to restore my relationship with God, I will be in a very bad place. I will be doomed. And again, honestly, if I, if I can call all of us out, I think you and I are on the same boat. Matter of fact, I know you and I are on the same boat. Here's the good news. Jesus is not a hypocrite. We have a reason to rejoice. 
So we're going to rejoice on the perfect work of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection takes away the stain of sin we once inherited by Adam and Eve. Let's rejoice because Jesus himself perfected this disciplines on our behalf. See, like you, don't get me wrong. Please don't. My prayer is that we as Christians, as Christ followers, we have the right motives to pray, to give, and to fast. But thanks be to God for sending Jesus to be our substitute and the one who perfected everything on our behalf so we can have a relationship with God. He did not fail at anything as I or these Pharisees did. He did it for the reward of the Father, not for the reward of others. Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you so much. I believe you have spoken clearly from heaven. And my hope and my prayer, Father, is that we have come out out of this room, not with another list of to-dos, but with a reason to rejoice because you perfected every single thing that needed to be perfect in order for us to have a relationship with God the Father. So thank you for that. I'm humble to have the opportunity to share God's word with these people, and I hope and my prayer is that these people realize that your work, your death on the cross, it's worth everything for our own salvation. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Would y'all stand and we're going to continue worshiping. 